Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday. On Monday, January 31st, I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a square-off over critical race theory. Then we take a look at two bills working their way through the state legislature. One, to ban dress codes that discriminate against black hair, and one, to ban COVID vaccines in public schools and workplaces. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. In a packed auditorium at Mississippi Agricultural Museum in Jackson Friday, the State Department of Education held a public hearing on proposed revisions to the state's social study standards. MPB's Brittany Brown reports. Revisions to Mississippi social study standards were in the works before critical race theory became a polarizing buzzword in politics. But when the Mississippi Department of Education published its proposed revisions to the standards, residents across the state responded strongly. This caused the department to schedule an open hearing where they quickly walked back some of those revisions. The content examples that were initially identified to be moved from the standards to a separate instructional planning guide, those are going to be retained in the standards. The committee first began discussing changes in 2020. In February 2021, they started the nine-month revision process. It all led up to this hearing where 66 speakers took to the podium to voice their concerns. The Senate passed a bill four days ago saying no CRTs to be taught in Mississippi. This curriculum gives a lot of leeway to the teachers to interject their opinions on different topics. Teach the truth. Where we celebrate our black leaders. Many people talked about critical race theory and the erasure of history from the social studies standards. Our teachers teach something that would divide us instead of unite us. Shame on y'all. And so did state lawmakers like Republican State Senator Michael McClendon, who authored legislation to prohibit critical race theory from being taught in public schools and colleges in Mississippi. Does Mississippi Department of Education accept the concept that a child is superior or inferior to another? If not, then should any curriculum material school district or teacher convey to students that they are inherently superior or inferior to another? The department says social study standards are a guide for districts to decide what's taught in the classroom. 
After the three-hour hearing was over, the department said parents should also voice their concerns about curriculum with their local school districts. Brittany Brown, MPB News. Coming up, a pediatrician in the state reacts to legislation that would ban COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Mississippi's public schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The mayor of the Madison County city of Ridgeland wants a purge of books with LGBTQ themes from the city library. And he's threatening to withhold funding from the county library system until his wishes are fulfilled. Ridgeland Mayor Gene McGee says books that explore sexual orientation and gender identity are inappropriate for children. And according to an official at the Madison County Library System, the mayor is already actively withholding payment for the first quarter of 2022. The big question is, can he do that? Hewlin Bivens is executive director of the Mississippi Library Commission. In and of himself, no. What are the implications of this? What can be done about it, in your estimation? The mayor needs to understand that there are procedures with regard to uh, challenged materials that have been established in this case by the Madison County Library System. Those standards and how materials are selected and how they're placed in the collection, all of that is governed by their rules and their regulations. They answer to a board and the board, as set forth in the Mississippi Code, uh, has the ultimate authority. The mayor should have taken his thoughts and considerations, his opinions, and presented them to the board. Uh, That would have been the proper way for the procedure to have gone. The Mississippi Library Commission has worked with all of our public libraries and devised a mechanism that you can appeal the inclusion of any material in a public library. If you think that is something that should be challenged, you are encouraged to challenge, but encouraged to challenge in the correct way. How could this be resolved with less pain? Less pain is just follow the law. That's why you have the library board that ultimately is going to uh, sit with the library staff and have a discussion after a complaint's filed. Then ultimately they'll decide if there's merit to it or not. Yes, ma'am. That That is their charge and their duty under the Mississippi Code. I'm thinking about the issue of critical race theory and how that has been very controversial across the country. The theory which basically says it is inherent in laws and institution that there is racism. They're going to, I'm assuming, like this situation, be people who have complaints. How is this going to be addressed in your estimation? Whether it's, you know, it's going to be complaints about the library. I, if there are books that 
someone finds objectionable. Well, it will be handled again in accord with law and the rules and regulations that are established. There is an established procedure if someone wishes to object to materials in the collection of a public library. The Supreme Court case just a few years ago in 1982, and it was with regard to schools. There were challenges, and there was what is good material, what is bad material. Uh, it dealt with materials that were complained about as being anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, just plain filthy, anti-American, anti-business. Uh, everything was rolled into one. This case is really, really important. A lot of people don't seem to quote it that often. The reason is, and this will show you why the diversity here, the justices, this is the Supreme Court, the, the justices could not come to a presiding opinion. So they issued three different opinions. The consistent with regard to this was that you can't remove something just because you don't like it. You can't remove something just because you don't agree with it. You need to go through procedures and you need to have discussions. That's what our public libraries are set up to do presently. And by doing that, we have an organized format that we can be responsive to our public, but we're responsive to all segments of the public. Any type of social issue is going to, in and of itself, bring about materials placed in a library that may not be agreeable to you particularly. And the library is trying to disseminate information such that uh, you can be positive and it can bring about social well-being in the community and the health of the community uh, and that I'm talking about is a literate society so that we understand issues, so that we can work on problems, and that we can, you know, enjoy successes all done together. Hewlin Bivens is executive director of the Mississippi Library Commission. Ridgeland Mayor Gene McGee did not respond to our request for an interview. Coming up, a bill about hair. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi House Bill 1268 is called the Create a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair Act, or the Crown Act. It aims to ban school and workplace dress codes that prohibit certain hair textures. Such rules have historically targeted black people and especially black women's natural hair. Zakia Summers is a House Democrat from Jackson. She speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. I am so honored to be able to co-sponsor the Crown Act legislation with my colleague, Representative Payton. As a woman with natural hair, I understand the importance of ensuring that any woman, regardless of what kind of hairstyle she wants to wear, is not discriminated against in the workplace and therefore displaced from her job 
and not able to provide the needs and the level of quality of life for herself and for her family. So if we were able to do this in the state of Mississippi, I think it would be huge. I think it would put a rubber stamp on just how important it is to support women in the workplace, particularly since we were able to receive overwhelming support on the equal pay bill in the House. I think it would just further our efforts and our support for women in the state of Mississippi. The equal pay bill didn't address race specifically, but this would definitely have more of a racial uh, factor to it. You know, what would this do for black women especially? It's so important when we're talking about laws and policies that we uh, legislate those through an equitable lens because we know that there are instances where bias can play a role in um, how a person is treated, the services that they access, the jobs that they are able to get, etc. And so the Crown Act would, you know, definitely help black women, but uh, all women of color and frankly, you know, any woman that wants to choose to have a natural hairstyle and wants to just be able to do the job that she's been hired to do. Uh, But I certainly think that it's necessary that we try to do all that we can to be as equitable as we possibly can be when we're doing legislation. As a representative of Jackson yourself, and a a resident of Jackson, you know, what are your thoughts about addressing the crime rate in the city during this session? I have to start first by just thanking the Jackson Police Department, the Hines County Sheriff's Department, for everything that they do to respond to crime and to keep me and my family safe, safe. And I definitely want to show appreciation to the governor for his concerns and his response to what we are experiencing. But the effect of crime in the city of Jackson didn't just happen overnight. And it is not a result of uh, not having the willingness to want to work together and get down to the bottom of how we can come up with a solution. But if we are to resolve this crime, in addition to what my colleagues um, in the Senate said during the press conference today, we have to be intentional about collaboration. We have to be intentional about consensus building. Uh, We have to have the will and the desire to want to work together and to not perpetuate a negative narrative about the city of Jackson or propose a piecemeal plan that is not going to help us resolve this issue of crime. So I think that much more needs to be done. Um, You know, I call on the governor and legislative leadership, my colleagues in both the House and the Senate, to work alongside citizens in the city of Jackson, local officials, and those appropriate agencies. Let's get together. Let's come up with a real plan. Let's look at models. Let's do the research that we need to do. Let's put forth something that's going to be effective um, and something that is going to provide the necessary investment that we need in the city of Jackson so that everybody is safe, so that we're holding those who commit criminal activity accountable. And it's not about who takes the credit, because when we all work together, then we all win. And so that's what I'm hoping that we can do going forward. 
Zakia Summers is a Democratic state representative from Jackson. Still ahead, a pediatrician in the state reacts to legislation that would ban COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Mississippi public schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. House Bill 1509 passed the state legislature's lower chamber earlier this last week. It's now headed to the Senate. The bill would prevent the state of Mississippi from, quote, discriminating against a person based on his or her COVID-19 vaccine status. It would ban COVID vaccine mandates in certain workplaces and schools. Dr. John Godet is a pediatrician at Merritt Health Wesley Hospital in Hattiesburg. He speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. On my reading of the bill, it looks like it applies to public institutions, uh, colleges, universities, municipalities, but it exempts healthcare facilities for obvious reasons. Healthcare workers who are taking care of sick people really need to be, it needs to be as safe of a situation as possible to not transmit COVID illness to their patients. However, my concern about this bill is that it is solving a problem that does not exist. There are no um, COVID vaccination requirements in public universities, uh, community colleges, municipalities at this time. So I don't see it really as uh, having being an effective use of the legislator's time because another concern that I have is that the decision whether or not to uh, mandate a COVID vaccine, just like in a hospital, I think it should be up to the people in that situation, the people in the school or or community college, university, municipality. I believe uh, we need to empower our local leaders rather than taking directives from Jackson on something as highly personal as this. Mississippi does have a a robust program currently in place to require a broad range of vaccines for all children. Mississippi also has one of the lowest COVID-19 vaccination rates in the country, and clearly um, some in the legislature are interested in making measures like this law. Are you caught off guard at all and, uh, by what seems to be a pretty significant shift in public opinion and the opinion of, of leaders in the state about vaccines? I'm concerned that that shift may appear and that, that the COVID vaccine discussion will be wrongfully generalized to other vaccine-preventable diseases. Uh, I, the, the teachers, uh, school administrators, lawmakers, community members, parents, families, doctors, are generally supportive of immunizing school children against these other severe diseases. And I would, would like to maintain that. I'm not surprised, though, that our vaccine rate for COVID is low in Mississippi. And it doesn't surprise me about that, but I don't want to see the politicization of the other vaccine preventable illnesses occur, such as the COVID vaccination has been politicized. 
were you around as a doctor in Mississippi when all of these rules about all these other vaccines got put in place? Um, and if so, can you speak at all to the climate or the rhetoric around those decisions? I wasn't around then. It's always been strong. I, I do know someone who was, and, and it's been around for a long time. And I think it comes in part due to the Mississippi being such a, a rural state tends to have a strong system network of health departments, and that health department system really helps to promote these aspects of public health that were so important. And we also believe in taking care of each other and protecting each other. And by vaccinating our children for things like diphtheria and polio and measles, it was it was seen as a way uh, to protect a community as opposed to just an individual. And so I think it's part of our DNA to do that. And so I, I, it sort of evolved slowly and unfolded over time. It has been that way for many, many years. That part is not new. I'm a little bit disappointed that we're viewing COVID vaccine as some sort of, sort of uh, like political uh, wedge, which is, uh, is really unfortunate. It's, it's a biological, it's a viral agent. It's, it's really not a, a political tool, and I think it's unfairly being used as such. This legislation, 1509, kind of implies that there is something meaningfully different about the COVID-19 vaccine relative to other vaccines, right? Just because it is, it's an incredibly narrow potential law that would prohibit you know, mandates on this, this one very particular vaccine. Are you afraid that that allows untrue beliefs to fester about potentially the COVID vaccine being more harmful or less effective or anything else than any other vaccine that we've been taking for years? Public health is a difficult subject to understand because it's difficult for an individual to think about large numbers. Like if I were to say a thousand people died from COVID versus 2000 people died from COVID, it's very hard to wrap your brain around the difference between those numbers and and get an idea of the degree and assess the degree of severity. We're more threatened by things that we can see and touch and hear. And, and COVID, many times it may be remote. You may not know anybody uh, who's died from COVID or, or who's had a serious illness. And so it is a very difficult subject. And I do fear that individuals who say, well, I, you know, I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to live my life. That may be fine, but by doing what you feel like is fine for you may be affecting other people. And I think that sense of community and protecting each other, I'm worried that that has begun to degrade and, and, uh, and that we're not taking care of each other as well as we ought to be. And that, that this COVID vaccine issue is, is accelerating that. That is a fear and a concern that I have. And I think we need to be, looking more at protecting communities, families and communities, and, and everyone in our state. Is there anything else that you want to add, anything else that's important for Mississippians to know about this or context in which they can sort of understand measures like this moving forward? There's no upside to this bill. There's no vaccine mandates that need to be upended or repealed or undone. And, and I doubt that there will ever be a vaccine mandate for the COVID vaccine in Mississippi. This bill is really a deliberate waste of time and its political grandstanding and has a big downside in that it will begin to unravel 
the confidence that Mississippians have in public health measures such as measles or polio vaccination. So I see this as a way to uh, make a point, but I believe that point will not be effectively made and will eventually harm Mississippians. John Godet is a pediatrician at Merritt Health Wesley Hospital. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.